We are in our second Sunday of September, and our theme this month has been or is the harvest. And since it's the, as we're moving into the fall season, and this is the season uh, where there is usually a harvest, we, uh, I thought it would be apt that we teach on that. Now, some of this I've taught before, but some of it may be a little bit new to you. Amen. And But we want our, our minds refreshed and understand that our purpose here today is to make sure that we are in the harvest. Amen. Last week we talked about the gardener and his plan for planting and how in Genesis he planted seeds. And the scripture tells us that if it's planted in good soil, it'll bring forth some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So today we're going to be studying the next part of that. Um, and we've talked about the seed. And then after a period of growth, then you start to expect the harvest. In John chapter 4 and verse 35, Jesus had come to Jerusalem. And he was looking at all of the people. And it was just after the first Passover. It was at a, just after a Passover. And he said something interesting to his disciples. He said, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. So we know that Passover is in the, what month usually? April. April, right, right. And so he said the harvest is usually in the fall, right? But you hear what he said. He said, don't say that's when the harvest is going to happen. What has he said? I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look. He wasn't speaking naturally. He was speaking spiritually. They were looking and thinking, okay, well, it's not time for the harvest yet. Jesus was saying, no, don't say it's yet four months. You know, we're actually in the month of the next Jewish feast. Anyone know what that is? After Pentecost, what's next? We have Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Pentecost, and then trumpets, trumpets on the 25th of this month will be the Jewish feast of Rosh Hashanah. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? If the Lord would descend right then. With a shout. You wouldn't have to pay off that truck. <laughs> you could, you're not going to have to pay off that truck. Amen. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Amen. That's what I'm waiting for. Amen. And we're going to look at some of that because that is one of the, the feasts. Jesus said, though, don't bet that that's when it is. He was really saying, it may not be when you think it is. Amen. There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, re already to harvest. Last week we talked about the gardener and how he planted man in a garden. And he planted food that was 
spiritually and symbolically the word of God. Because we learn in Luke, it explicitly tells us the seed is the word of God. In Genesis, when God was creating, instead of speaking, this time he planted. And when you plant something to grow, what are you planting? A seed. Symbolically, what he was planting was the word of God. And we know that this garden is not just some ordinary garden, that it is supernatural. It's a supernatural garden. In my message today, we're going to touch on that a little bit. Amen. So what was the gardener's plan? Amen. Matthew 13, 38. He says, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. He's pretty much laid it out, hasn't he? He's pretty much laid it out. He says God is going to send forth his angels to gather his elect. As therefore the tears are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of the fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. If you grow a garden, one of the things you look for is to get rid of all the weeds. You go and look. You want your plant to grow. You want your tomato bush or, or, or tree to grow. You want your squash and your melons to grow. So you look and you see any kind of weeds. You go in there and you pluck it out. God is going to do the same thing. God has got a plan of harvest. Amen. It, he lays it out. He says, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The Bible speaks about us being after Abraham's seed. And that seed means that it's, it's one of faith, one of belief, one of trust. Not that you can see the end yet, but you believe, even not seeing it yet. And that is what he said that Abraham, it was counted him for righteousness because he believed. So we're looking for the harvest. We're in the season of harvest. And we're going to look at that. In Genesis 2, 9, it says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And I hinted at last week that that tells us something about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There is so much misunderstanding. Misunderstanding and, 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 and uh, ignorance as to God's word. But yet, if you read it with spiritual eyes, you can see quite plainly that God reveals something to us there. He said, and the Lord God, out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That means it will make you live, not die. So God made every good tree grow. He only plant. God cannot do evil. Do you know that? That tells you where the tree of the knowledge of good and evil came from. Because it says God made every tree that is good for food. You cannot call the tree of the knowledge of good and evil good for food. Because if you eat of it, what's going to happen? You're going to die. That tells you immediately it was not God that put that tree there. In Matthew 9.37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers 
into his harvest. We are called to be laborers. That's what we're called to be. Amen. We're called to be laborers. For a harvest, there first has to be someone who is going to plant the seed, right? There has to be a gardener. What did he, what did he do with Adam and Eve after he planted the garden? Yeah, he put them in the garden to do what? They were to continue the work he had started. What did he start doing? Planting seed. What do you think they were supposed to do? Do you understand? We are now in the gardener's stead. That's why he said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he sent forth laborers. That's what our highest calling is. I was listening to someone last night on one of these religious channels. And all he was doing was beating up on other ministers. I don't know, maybe there's more than one, but all he was doing was beating up. And he was saying, oh, there's so much bad teaching. He wasn't focusing on the gospel or saving souls. His whole thing, and I had to turn him off after I listened. I was waiting, I was waiting, I was waiting for something good to come out of it. I was waiting for him to, to say the gospel message. But all he was doing was tearing down. He was not doing any planting. He was not opening any, uh, any ground. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Amen. That is what we're called to do. Now, the other thing that you need if you're going to plant is good soil. I keep talking about that every Sunday. In Jeremiah 32, 22, God promised Israel symbolically in the Old Testament that he was going to bring them to a land that had great soil. See, everything in the Old Testament was symbolic of a spiritual fulfillment in the New Testament. So going from Egypt, which represents sin to the promised land represents us coming out of this world and going to heaven. And he told them that there, he was going to give them a land that flowed with milk and honey. Jeremiah 32, 22. In fact, it's in the scripture at least three or four times. And has given them this land which thou didst swear to their father to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Ezekiel 20, verse 6. In the day that I lifted up mine hand unto them to bring them forth out of the land of Egypt, into a land that I had spied out or chosen for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. If you were to look at a map of the world and you were to put a pin in Jerusalem, they say that if the, you look on the right-hand side or to the east and to the left, that it is squarely in the middle of all of the landmass. That's why that area is called what? The Middle East it's middle, middle east. It is, it is squarely on the left. You would go west, you'll find the Americas. On the right, you'll find China and all of that. But it's, it's about in the middle of the landmass. So God had promised them this, this place where they were going to be able to grow and be fruitful. And because of that, we see that there needs to be seasons, right? Sometimes we don't like seasons. Like, I'm not a fan of winter. I don't go skating. I don't go skiing. I don't go sledding. I'm not a fan of winter, but I know it's necessary. I know the snow brings refreshing. The snow cleans up stuff. 
you know, it, when it first falls, it looks so beautiful. Especially if you don't have to travel. It's, it's nice to look at it. If you have to travel, then it's another story. But, you know, so we need the seasons. And so God, when he created the earth, he created it with seasons. The earth spins on an axis, and that axis is tilted at 23 degrees so that at some part of the year we're closer to the sun, one part is closer to the sun, at another part of the year, because the, the tilt goes like this, we're further from the sun. And that's what gives us our seasons. Like now in Australia, they're going into their summer as we go into winter. It seems strange, but they celebrate Christmas at the beach. <laughs> While we may be buried under snow. But these seasons are necessary for growth. And guess when they, they do the harvest in, the, in September and then in October, they're beginning to plant. They're beginning to plant. In Deuteronomy, God started to lay out for them some of the things that they would find in this land. They, and he, he, he symbolically gave them seven different crops. In Deuteronomy 8.8, 8, and said, it's a land of wheat and of barley and of vines and of fig trees and of pomegranates, a land of oil and of oil, olive or olive oil and honey. Now, when it puts honey, it really is um, the dates that they used to crush and make like a honey or a sweet paste. And so they, God told them about these seven agricultural products that they would be able to harvest when they came into the land of Israel. And to go along with that, he, he told them some other things. He told them that they would be the barley, the wheat, the grapes, the figs, the pomegranates, olives, and the dates. That's what the, the, the major crops that they grow there, that they were going to be able to go in and plant in this fertile land. And it turns out that that is the order that they're planted. They start to par, pl plant the barley in October, and it, it starts to, to, to come into season the next year in May, April, where we have Passover. And each of those, each of those crops represents something. We're only going to focus on a few of them today, but we're, as we go into this, into this study on the harvest. And together with that, God gave them seven feasts, seven appointments. Really, it's translated feast, but it really means an appointment. Because on an appointment, it means you're going to go what? If you got an appointment, you're going to do what? Meet someone. You are going to meet someone. So these seven feasts were appointments where the children of Israel were supposed, those who could make it, had to go and meet God at the tabernacle or the temple. And so these seven feasts, in the, in the Hebrew, it means an appointment. Do you know we have an appointment with God? In Hebrews it says it's appointed unto men once to die. Then we got an appointment. There is going to be a judgment. There is going to be a reckoning of the things. We're going to have to give an account of how we lived our lives with what we knew. You know, with what we knew. How did we live our lives? Did we live up to our own expectations? So God gave them these feasts. And on each of these feasts, there was a, a, a harvest of a particular product. So everyone knows the first one, right? Passover. And on Passover was the first product was harvested. And you all know that, right? Which one was that? The barley. The barley was harvested on Passover. And then the next feast was unleavened bread when, they would, when it commemorated them leaving Egypt. And they had to leave Egypt in a hurry. 
Moses told him, I want you to eat this last meal with your clothes packed, your bag packed, because you got to be ready to go. And so you don't have time to really uh, to season anything. Just, just eat what you got. And so that represented the unleavened bread, that they were to leave Egypt in purity with God's blessing. And then on the third, uh, the third feast was first fruits, and it represents the, the harvest of the barley. And then Pentecost is in the middle. There's, there's two more months, and then there's Pentecost. And then the next one that we're expecting this year is what? We all said it. Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets is, the, is a strange one because it's the only one that happens on the first day of the first month of the year. It's the Jewish uh, New Year, the secular year. And it's the only one that happens on the first day of the first month. And it's coming up this month. Sunday the 25th at sunset in Jerusalem will begin the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the beauty of this is that God set up these appointments to symbolize an actual fulfillment that was going to happen in the New Testament. Each one of these feasts had a had a, a spiritual meaning. It wasn't just a ceremony. You see, remember, all these people were slaves. They never went to school. So God did not give them a Bible, a written Bible, so to speak. He gave them ceremonies. And in carrying out these ceremonies, they were passing down God's plan of salvation. Because Passover represented deliverance and leaving Egypt, right? This night, the death angel is going to pass over every house to which the blood is applied. He had told them that you kill the sacrificial lamb. You take the, the hyssop and you, you dab the, the lentil and the door. And everyone who's inside, everyone who's inside the house, that night when the angel passes over, the firstborn would be spared. See, when we first come to God, we have to have God's blood applied so that we can be spared the judgment. And so that was fulfilled when Jesus came. Right? John the Baptist looked at him and what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent, everyone who had sinned and looked at the serpent, the object of their sin was delivered. When we look unto Jesus, we can be delivered. We can be saved. Amen. I've got a message, but I have to wait. And then we have unleavened bread, which represents, again, Jesus. Each one of these feasts point to him. Each one of these celebrations points to him because he represents that bread that came down. He said, I am the bread that came down. In the, in the, in the desert, there was no way of them planting seeds. So God had to supernaturally keep them. And so every morning they went out, there was this stuff on the floor. And they didn't know what it was. They called it manna because it, it meant we don't know what it is. <laughs> and they would take this and they would eat it. And God gave them this manna for 40 years. 40 years they had manna. And it represented heaven's food. God said, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he have what? No part of me. And so then we have the first fruits, which was the actual harvest. And what the the farmers and the 
the gardeners would do is they would bring in the first sheaf of the barley and present it to God. Before anyone else had it, they had to give an offering to God. And then, of course, Pentecost, which is two months later, which is the strange one. But it represents salvation. Because it was on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, after leaving Egypt. Where did they get to? What happened 50 days after they left Egypt? They journeyed to where? Mount Sinai. Right? They journeyed to Mount Sinai. And on the 50th day when Moses went up, he met God and was given the law. So in the Old Testament, the thing that they, that they lived by that saved them was the law, which was given on Pentecost. But fast forward 2,000 years, the thing now that saves us is the Holy Spirit. Because on the 50th day after Jesus' death, the Bible says in Acts, there came a sound as of a what? Mighty rushing wind and it filled all the house. And the thing that saved them or, or tried to lead them was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, on the Feast of Pentecost. The Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, fully, that means it was in the morning. Now Pentecost... The Jews, the way they look, they account their days, it starts at sunset from the evening before. So when it says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it doesn't mean at sun. It means on the morning there came a sound. There were 120 of them in the upper room. And the Bible says that there came a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And they were all filled. So the thing that saves us is represented on Pentecost. And then the, 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 the feast that the Bible speaks the least about doesn't really say much. It's the Feast of Trumpets. But it was commemorated as the first day of the year, the, the, the old year. And it's known by Rosh Hashanah. Shana means year and Rosh means head. So really it's the feast of the head of the year, the beginning of the year. And we believe, or it could be, that that feast is the fulfillment when God will... Take us out of here. Then, of course, 10 days later is the Feast of Atonement, which was the holiest day for the Jews. In, in the Hebrew, it's called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Covering. Kippur means covering. And when it's im, it means plural, the Day of Coverings. That's the day when God, in the Old Testament, covered the people's sin so that they were no more under a condemnation. But the problem was that the blood that was shed on Yom Kippur was not good enough to permanently get rid of sin. That's why they had to keep doing it every year. Not until Jesus came. And we're going to get to see the fulfillment of that. Because that fulfillment happens in heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, John says, and he saw, heard a voice, and he saw a door open in heaven. Remember what our theme was. I've placed before you an open door. And then he heard a voice said, come up. Then he, the scene shifts to heaven, and he sees a lamb slain. And we begin to see the atonement ceremony. Where our sins are finally covered. It's where we're at one with God. That's what the at one meant. 
where there will be no more separation, where God really deals with the sin problem, because we get new bodies. We get new bodies. And then finally, the last feast is tabernacles, where God is going to dwell permanently with man. Hallelujah. Now, of those seven feasts, three of them were designated harvest festivals. God made a point of saying, I want you to, of those seven, I want you to make the first one, the middle one, and the last one harvest festivals. And those three make sure that you come to Jerusalem. Those three, you must come to Jerusalem. That's why on the day of Pentecost, there was gathered at Jerusalem all these Jews from all over the world. Why? Because they were fulfilling the commandment to be at Jerusalem. Exodus 23, 14. Three times thou shalt keep a feast or an appointment unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread or Passover because it's really the very next day. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month of Abib. Abib is what the month used to be called. But now it's called Nisan. Passover happens in Nisan. So Abib was what the Jews used to call it when they left Egypt. But when they were taken captive and went to Babylon, they started using the Babylonian name for the month, which today is what we call it, Nisan. But the original name of the month was Abib. And Abib actually refers to the name of the barley. It's, it's a certain stage in the, in the growth of the barley. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread... Seven days as I commanded thee, in the time appointed of the month, Abib, for in it thou camest out from Egypt. It was to commemorate God saving them out of Egypt. Today we commemorate God saving us out of sin, delivering us out of darkness. The Bible said we're, we're into his what? Marvelous light. Then the next one they were to celebrate was, of course, Pentecost. Here it's called the Feast of Harvest. The first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field. And the feast, the last one is the field, feast of ingathering. So we know that at unleavened bread, the, the, the harvest that they were celebrating was which grain? Passover, which grain? Barley. Seven weeks later, 49 days, on the 50th day, they would celebrate Pentecost. Now, what was the first fruits that they were bringing in then? The wheat. The wheat. And then right at the end, at the end of the year, our Tabernacles was the last harvest festival. And that was the oil and the wine. Amen. These three things are significant because they're prophetic and they represent God's harvest year. Amen. They represent God's harvest year. So they were told that they had to appear three times a year. And they, hadn't, they couldn't come empty. They had to bring something when they had to bring the harvest the representative to present it to God I hope that when he calls us we we can show to someone some seed we've planted some harvest that we have done some work that we have tried amen because God wants us to amen in the first month of the 14th day of the month at even he shall eat unleavened bread until the one and 20th day of the month at even so some of the feasts overlap so you have Pentecost, sorry, you have Passover. The next day is unleavened bread. But unleavened bread lasts seven days. So sometimes the feast is called Passover. Sometimes it's called unleavened bread. But it's the same period of time. 
So Passover is also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we know that Jesus celebrated that at least three times before his last crucifixion. And we can see how God set up the plan and the model. Because we know that just like in the Old Testament, Moses told them on the 10th day of Nisan or Abib, they were to take in a lamb. And that lamb was to stay with the family for three days. And then on the 14th day, that is Passover, they were to kill it at even. So we see this was totally fulfilled because on the 10th day, Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And all the children and all the people lay down their garments in front of him and cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And so for three days, he was presented to Israel as Messiah. This was the first time in his three and a half year ministry that he allowed himself to be presented as king. He allowed himself to fulfill the scripture that had been prophesied 178,888 days before. That's how precise the scripture is. In the book of Daniel, God gave the precise date when he would be presented as Messiah. And it was fulfilled to the very day. It was the feast of unleavened bread. He came down as that bread. He says, I am the bread of life. He told his disciples, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And they didn't understand. They thought he was talking about cannibalism, but he was talking spiritually. When we eat the word, we're eating of that bread. When you're here today listening to the word of God, you're eating of that bread. And that bread gives you spiritual life. Amen. Amen. That's why it's so important to get some word. That's why it's important. You shouldn't go two days. I mean, how long do you go before eating? Most of us eat at least once a day, right? Would you go a whole week without eating? But a lot of people spiritually go a whole week without getting any word. And that's why if we could see ourselves spiritually, maybe we'd be shocked. We wouldn't look so healthy. Amen. The reason you plant seed is so that you can reap a harvest so that you can eat. Amen. Amen. So let's, we're going to look, we're going to study over the next two weeks some of these feasts in detail. The first one of them was the barley. Leviticus 23.10 says, Speak unto the children of Israel and send to them, When he be come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then he shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. They were to take the very first reaping And not eat of it, they were to take it to the temple and present it to God. And you shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. So the first fruits of the barley were presented to God. That was the symbol that the Jews were told. And we're going to see how that was literally fulfilled. So... As I said, the name of the month was back then was called Abib, and it referred to the stage that the grain was in. When you look at a, a field, first you plant the seed, and then after a little bit you see the shoots come up. And then a little bit later, it starts to turn yellow. And at a certain stage, they go out, and a farmer, someone who is skilled, they will break off a little bit, and they will feel it. And what they're checking for is for the moisture content. 
to know whether it's ready to harvest. They'll, 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 they'll break it and they'll, sometimes you'll see them chew it. They'll, they'll taste it to see if it's ready. And so when it was just before it was ready, that was called the stage of Abib. And it referred to the barley. So they called the whole month Abib because it was the month in which the grain was going to be ripened. Now, you could harvest it a little bit early. And if you did that, then to eat it, you would have to roast it. And if you roasted it, you could, you could then eat it. And that's what it's speaking about, parched barley. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee. In the time appointed of the month Abbot, for it came in it thou camest out from Egypt. And none shall appear before me. Empty. God wanted them to bring something. Amen. God wanted them to bring something. They had to bring of their harvest. But God made it easy. If you weren't rich, you could bring even just a little grain. Just a little seed. God made it easy for them. And so the definition of the word Abib means fresh young ears of barley. Exodus 9.31 And the flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ear, it was in the ear, and the flax was bold. Abib then indicates, as I said, a stage of the barley. Just before the reaping, it had gotten to a stage where where it was a certain moisture content, and you could still eat it early if it was if it was parched. You could reap it early. Now I'm saying this for you to get something out of this. You could reap it early if it went through the fire. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It would, could be reaped early, but only if it went through some parching. It could be reaped early. We'll come back to that. We know that from the passage in the Bible that um, it wasn't quite ripened yet. It needed another week or so, but it, it could be reaped. And the seeds could be eaten if parched by fire. Leviticus 2.14 And if thou offer a meat offering, and when it says meat, it's speaking about food offering, grain offering, of thy first fruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruit green ears of corn dried by the fire. Even corn beaten out of the full ears. That means they had to beat it to, to separate the, 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 the chaff. And then they would dry it by putting it in the fire. Then it could be eaten. Then it could be used. Amen. So that was the month that God chose to symbolize taking them out of Egypt. Delivering them from slavery. And taking them back to the promised land. In Leviticus 23.10 it says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when he be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then he shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits. They had to take symbolically and bring to God. You see, do you know that we are the, called the church of the firstborn? Amen. We need to give ourselves to God. The Bible says that we should become a living, holy, and acceptable to God. When we come in here today... And when we worship, you know, we're, and we wave our hands, we're presenting ourselves. The Bible says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that costs you. A sacrifice is something that don't feel good. A sacrifice is something you don't want to do. But to God, that's what it is, a sacrifice. Amen. And so the next grain, of course, I said was Pentecost. And it was 50 days later. And thou shalt observe the Feast of Weeks. When it says weeks, it means sevens. Or seven 
times seven plus one. On the 50th day, the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Now, the interesting thing about this, on the first harvest, they were to not have anything with leaven in it. On Passover, they were to eat unleavened bread, unsalted bread, un really hard bread without air in it. But on the Feast of Pentecost, God told them to do the opposite. They were to make sure they put leaven in the bread. You know what that symbolizes? On Pentecost, you come as you are. God is the one that's going to clean you up. God is the one that's going to preserve you. We don't have to try and make ourselves good because we can't. Amen. Bible says our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. But we come as we are. So on Pentecost, they were told to bring the bread baked with leaven and present it before the Lord. Amen. And of course, on the day of Pentecost, that's what was happening. We see that Jesus chose all kinds of people for disciples. Not the kind of people we would think. You'd think, okay, he would choose only the priests, only the Levites. But what did he end up choosing? Some fishermen, some tax collectors, some, some, that's right. Because some of his disciples were prostitutes. Some of his disciples were killers. Some of his disciples were terrorists. Bible in the New Testament says, and such were some of you. But now you are washed. Now you are washed. See, God can change any life. He can make you have a new direction. He can give you hope. He can restore what Satan has stolen. And they were to bring this on the Feast of Pentecost. And then the final of the three feasts was the end of the year. They would have like a harvest festival, which was the oil and the wine. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles. So fifteen days after the twenty-fifth of this month will be the Feast of Tabernacles. And on that feast, which is also a seven-day feast, they were to bring in the harvest of the oil and the wine. So I'm going to put it up there. You can see there were three harvests. First, the first fruits of the barley presented on, Pentecost, uh, on P- Passover. First fruits of the wheat presented on Pentecost. And then the last fruits, the oil and the wine, presented at the Feast of Ingathering. And these are symbolic and different, I guess, what I'm going to teach from a lot, what a lot of people teach. Because a lot of people teach that there is only one specific harvest. But the Bible tells us that there were three. There were three in the harvest year. In the harvest year. And we all believe in the rapture. And the rapture is still part of the harvest. But if it was only the rapture, then we have to explain how the Old Testament saints get saved. Because they weren't baptized in Jesus' name, were they? No, they were not baptized in Jesus' name. So how do they get saved if it's only the people in the rapture go to heaven? We're going to be dealing with that to come. So we see that all of the the grains and all of the, the harvests, God had laid out a meticulous plan modeled in these feasts so that we could today learn and understand. So... The grains were harvested on Pentecost and on Passover. And then the fruit was harvested on tabernacles. 
Now, God has modeled this again in the book of Ruth. All through the Bible, he's put little hints and understandings of, ho- of his overall plan. Now, let's go on to the book of Ruth, and I know we've studied this before. And Ruth belonged to a tribe called the Moabites. And my wife always laughs when she reads the scripture. Because in the Old Testament, it speaks about the Moabites as what? Wash, wash pot. They, they, were, they were like the outcasts. In the Bible, it speaks of them, the wash pot. You know, something that was dirty, something unclean. And yet, two Jewish men left Bethlehem and went to the land of Moab and married these two women, of which Ruth was a Moabitess. Both of the men died. And the mother-in-law, Naomi, decided to return to Israel. And her daughter-in-law could have stayed in Moab, but for some reason she saw something about the God of Israel. And she said, made a pledge and a commitment that your God is going to be my God. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which was returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So now that you've been taught, you all know then that they left Moab and came back to the land of Israel, just like what Passover symbolizes, deliverance out of sin to the promised land. They left Moab and came back to Israel. It says about the time of the barley harvest. So what's that? What feast is that? Passover. Do you see that? Passover. God is giving us little hints about his plan of deliverance and how it works. They left Moab, the wash pot, the dirty place, and came back to the promised land at Passover. But this time it was a Gentile woman who had no rights in Israel. The only rights were to her mother. But because she was a woman, the land that belonged to her family could not be redeemed. It had passed to someone else and needed to be redeemed, had to be brought back into the family. So she came back to Israel at the time of the barley harvest. And she stays in the book until the time of the wheat harvest. So 50 days. And it's the time of the wheat harvest that she marries somebody. Ruth 2 23, so she kept the fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest. See, God is giving us little hints what's going on here. The wheat harvest is what feast? You all know it. Pentecost. So Ruth came back to Israel at the beginning of the barley harvest, Passover, and she stayed through the barley harvest to the end of the wheat harvest, which is Pentecost. And that's when she married Boaz. And Boaz means strength. See, we gain strength and power. On the day of Pentecost, he said, tarry at Jerusalem until he be endued with power from on high. See how God is modeling his plan of salvation. And so this Gentile woman who had no part in Israel, in fact, under the law, it said that she could never be part of the congregation till ten generations. 
10 generations. But what we're seeing is even in the Old Testament, God's grace and mercy, we would have no part. We are the Gentiles. We're just like Ruth. But he chose a Gentile bride. He chose a Gentile bride at Passover. Because of Passover, she came back and she was brought out of Moab, which is the wash pot, the dirty place. Back to Bethlehem. Beth means house. Lehem means bread. Back to the house of bread. And dwelt with her mother-in-law. And then it was time for her to present herself to Boaz. And we see here God modeling baptism and the Holy Spirit. Look at this, Ruth 3.3. 3. Before you go to Boaz, before you have this marriage, wash thyself, therefore. Baptism. Anoint thyself, therefore. Holy Spirit. And put on thy raiment. Put on righteousness. Put on clean, clean raiment. And get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have gone done eating and drinking. As they celebrated the harvest, Boaz had gone up to his threshing floor because they lived out there while they were harvesting and he lay down there. And it shall be when he layeth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet. Now that sounds strange. But in those days, the feet, the sandal was the sign of a covenant. When you exchanged shoes, that was the sign of the covenant. She was, in, in other words, proposing to him. <laughs> she was proposing to him. But he could have rejected her, but he did not. And lay thee down, and he will tell thee what to do. And she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. You know, this symbolizes what Paul said in Romans. It says, to Israel was given the oracles, the law of God. Naomi represents Israel. She was showing Ruth how to be saved. It's through the Jews that salvation comes, is what Paul says. So she told her everything to do, but still Ruth had to be obedient. She had to wash herself. She had to be baptized symbolically. She had to anoint herself, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she had to go and put on the clean raiment and lay at his feet. That's what God has called us to do. And this shows you the salvation plan starting from Passover to Pentecost. Do you see it? I don't know if you guys see it. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to show you this. So at the end of the wheat harvest, she marries her prince. And Ruth the Moabite said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. So now she's betrothed. And, and Boaz tells her, Okay, the harvest is not yet finished, so you just keep still and wait. Because at the end of the harvest, I'm going to redeem all of the property that was rightfully yours. I'm going to give you back, in other words, what the devil has stolen. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the end of the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Do you understand how God laid this out in the book of Ruth, his plan of salvation? See, we are now betrothed to him. We have, we have been washed. We have been anointed. We've laid at his feet. And he's saying, now, my harvest is still not finished yet. There's still some more folk I need to say. So you just keep waiting. You still keep uh, being obedient. You still keep worshiping. You still wait upon me patiently because I'm coming. At the end of the harvest, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to make you my wife. It's, it's 
amazing when you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because it mentions five women. Right? Five women. And when you look at the women, you know, they're not who you think they should be. (laughs) They're not who you think they should be. Probably one of the interesting ones, of course, that goes before even Ruth was Rahab. And Rahab happened to be the grandmother, I believe, of Boaz. You see how God arranges things? Because he's a merciful and graceful God. He took Rahab the harlot and had her marry a prince of Judah whose name was Salmon. And he had a son later on, Boaz. And then Boaz married Ruth, who became the grandmother of David. You see how God can use people who you think the world would throw away? See, the world doesn't know about any of us in here today. But the King of Kings does. Hallelujah. He knows my way, Job said. He knows my way. And when he has tried me, I will come out as pure gold. Amen. See, everything that God did in regard to the feast was symbolic of a future fulfillment. In the tabernacle, if you remember, there were three pieces of furniture. The golden candlestick, the altar of incense, and then there was this table with the bread that was called the showbread, or in other words, the bread of his presence. It represented God being there, the bread of his presence, because he said, I am the bread of life. Amen. And it shall be set upon the table, showbread before me always. Matthew 16, 9. Do we not yet understand, neither remember the fa- for the five loaves? Now, see how God fulfilled this. He did two miracles. He fed all these people, 5,000 and then 7,000. The first time, how many loaves of bread was there the little boy had? Two fishes and five loaves. And then the next time, the next time, he did it again. This time, it was seven loaves. When you add it up, what do you get? Twelve. Symbolic of the bread of his presence. In verse 11, Jesus asked the disciples, Why is it you don't understand? Why don't you get it? Can't you see what I'm doing? He was fulfilling all of the symbols. How is it that he do not understand? I spake it not of to you concerning bread, that he should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. What he was speaking was of the fact that that first feast in barley, they were to get rid of all the leaven. They were to get rid of anything that represented sin. Now, when we look at the, this in the, old, in the New Testament, This was also something that happened in the Old Testament. There was a miracle where the bread was multiplied. I don't know if you know it. In 2 Kings 4.42, there came a man from Baal Shelisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. So it was harvest time and he brought of the barley his first fruits. But of course, because it's the first fruits, he didn't bring a whole bunch. He only brought a little just to represent 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, 
Give unto the people that they may eat. And the, his servitor said, What, should I set this before a hundred men? He said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and shall leave thereof. And he set it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. In other words, again in the Old Testament, there was a miracle of the bread being multiplied. When we start to share the bread with others, it will be multiplied. When we start to share the word of God with others, it will be multiplied. It will be multiplied. Because that's what God promised. If you look at the miracle when Jesus did it, the Bible says there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So there could have been anywhere from 10,000 to 15,000 people. What it means is that Jesus himself could not have by himself in the time allowed because that evening they took a ship. So it would have taken hours and hours if Jesus alone was sharing the bread. But what did he do? He gave it to the disciples and the multiplication happened in their hands. The, mul- the miracle happened when they started to share it. And afterwards, how many baskets did they pick up? Twelve. Twelve. It always comes back to the twelve. The miracle happens when we start to share the word. So all of these feasts all tie together. I'm, I'm coming to a point here. I'm coming to a point. I'm sorry we... We're out of time. Amen. We're almost out of time. I'm going to skip that here. If you could stand with me. My wife says, I make you stand too long. (laughs) We're back to the parable in Matthew about the time of the harvest. And we're going to go into that much deep, more deep next week. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir... Didst not thou sow good seed in the field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said to them, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? He says, No, we're going to wait this time. See, in the flood, everybody got destroyed. Everybody got destroyed. Jesus said, No, we're going to let everything go together. Lest they gather up the tares, he root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together. And it's significant what the, what the grain is. It's wheat. That's us. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest. See, next week that will be my theme. The time of the harvest. I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. For he testified, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, there was a change of the priesthood when Jesus came. Because Jesus was not a Levite. And under the law, only a Levite could be a priest. But there had to be a change in the priesthood. But God had already prophesied that this was going to happen. For he testified that the, in, in, in Psalms that thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek's order was superior. You see, in the Old Testament, you could be a priest or you could be a king. But you couldn't be both. But in Melchizedek, we find the priesthood combined with the kingship. Because the Bible says Melchizedek was both king and priest. And that's what we're going to be. 
The Bible says you are heirs and joint heirs. And we are going to reign and rule with him. I'm closing this, this Bible study this morning, but I want you to be encouraged. Soon, and very soon, we are going to see the king. Andre Crouch wrote that song, I don't know, 35, 40 years ago. But it's coming closer. It's coming closer. We're almost at the third day. We're almost at the third day. Soon and very soon. I will never <laughs> pay off my mortgage. I can say that. I think it's 2046 or something like that. No, that's not going to happen. Whatever happens, I'm not planning to pay that off. They can have it. Amen. Because I have a mansion. I have a city whose builder and maker doesn't have hands. Amen. I want to be like Abraham. I'm just a stranger here. I'm passing through. Amen. My treasures are laid up. Amen. Beyond the blue. You know, we put down too many roots. We do. And then we get worried about them. We have to look after them. Because you can't lose anything if it's in heaven. Amen. The harvest is soon to happen. I don't know about this year. could be. I don't know. I, I don't know when God is going to do it. But every time I come up to the Feast of Trumpets, I always start to look at what's going on. <laughs> I always start to look around at what's going on. Because the Lord himself, he's not going to leave it to anyone else. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. I'm looking to hear my name called. I'm looking to hear my name called. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your great word. Lord, we ask you let it find good soil. Let us believe in faith that you are coming soon to look for your coming. Help us, O oh God, to do the work of the gardener, to plant more seed. Hallelujah. To bring the first fruits to your house. We thank you now for your blessing and your greatness. Be in our second service. Let there be anointing. Hallelujah. We lift up your name. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, let's give God a praise offering.